0: Good evening, and welcome back to a brand new edition of the Social Confos podcast. It's lucky number 13, and I'm joined again with our favorite host, Diego. Diego, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing good. Well-rested from the weekend. Well, rested kind of, but it was an enjoyable weekend.
0: <laughs> good to hear. I, I, it's like the quality of your setup keeps going up.
1: Yeah, you notice the
0: light. <laughs> yes, it's. I, I'm feeling like something. I have to do something with the green screen. I might have to redecorate the whole thing, and put in lights and make it a little bit more that I can keep up with with my co with with my co host. But we have uh, another great episode tonight. I've I've only heard of him. I've seen his name so many times. We've of course connected but you know our host uh, our guest a lot better so without further ado go ahead introduce him
1: sure so our guest tonight is uh, born raised in suriname until he moved to study abroad in the united states at the phoenix state university and we're talking about a serial entrepreneur innovation investor product engineer and he's been really active especially in the caribbean and he's you may have heard of PyData a lot in the tech space surrounding hackathons, but who's the guy behind PyData? It's none other than Sergio Pengel. And Sergio, I want to welcome you up here quickly while I continue. I met Sergio, I think a few years ago in the early days of the hackathons in Suriname. I don't quite remember the event, but it was one of the events in Torarica, Ro- Royal Ballroom. and we had a lot of international guests and a lot of Surinamese descent as well. So we had Sergio representing PyData, the Caribbean. Miguel Rodriguez just came back with Apura Networks. to siren we had Ryan Kopinski talking about AR, VR stuff. So it was really an interesting event. And, you know, you just connect with these people and you see what the cool stuff they're doing abroad. And Sergio was one of those prominent figure. So other than that, I don't remember much because it's just quite a few years ago. So if I missed anything, if you remember anything more clearly than me, Sergio, feel free to share. But without without further ado, welcome to Social Convos. Hope you got your hot beverage and hope you're in for a fun time with us.
2: Hey guys, thank you so much for welcoming me here. I I don't have a hot beverage, but I have a chamber beer. It's close enough to our so I'm super excited to be here.
0: Good, good. We love it. Hey, you're getting some shout-outs in the comments already uh, from Tefan Foa, Pega pegal Melukuyu. So some, some love coming from the from the comment section already. And I have to ask, be, be, because Diego mentioned the buzzword, how, how do you feel about the introduction using the phrase serial entrepreneur?
2: You know, I've learned to adopt that over the past, I guess, few years mostly because... I do find myself being in a few different ventures. I think most entrepreneurs naturally are serial entrepreneurs. I just don't want to say it or, or, or accept that term. But I, I think it's, I think it's, I think if you're an entrepreneur, uh, if you're a true entrepreneur, you will have multiple streams of income. Thus, it means you may have to consider the different avenues of uh, ventures.
0: So it's 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 an okay term. Serial entrepreneur is just a term that kind of tells you you're into many things.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and you got to own it right you can't just be an entrepreneur and, and then doing something else in the side you got to be a serial entrepreneur it means you got to re- that's that's all you do so you got to own it
1: to kick it off Sergio so we know you've been born in Suriname and you have Surinamese roots but clearly from your accent it's very American <laughs> so let's get into that a bit how did you even get into the states and studying international business at Phoenix State University?
2: Yeah, so I was born in Suriname. <laughs> I know it's kind of funny hearing me speak Dutch, right? Because it, it doesn't come naturally to the ear. But yeah, I was born in Suriname, and I was I was born in doc, Dr. Sophie Detmorn. i don't know. who's I to do it? The, the main second house. who's I can do it? Carl, forget got it. Dr. Sophie Detmorn. Uh-huh. Academy seekers. Academy It was I but I was raised in sorrow and hope. My parents. My mom died uh, when I was six years old. Cynthia Alia. God bless. God bless her soul. And you know. And and my my mom after my mom passed. My brother and I. One brother went to my my mom's side, and my other brother went, and I went to my dad's side. So I actually was raised by, by a, a beautiful Surinamese teacher called Wilma Cresber. So for those who are Surinamese know, and I, I just, she gave me the fundamentals of of, of life. And and I, and I tell you, since I was born, since I was with her since six years old, until about 14, it wasn't a day she didn't prepare me for the real world of preparing for America or, or you know, learning how to cook or washing clothes or, you know, just even shopping. So all of the fundamentals, you know, are still embedded inside my blood.
0: Okay. Just quickly, you don't have to worry about it. We have a lot of people joining in. We have enough. Raul, welcome to the show, joining in from Fort Lauderdale. We have a lot of Surinamese outside of Suriname, but this show is in English, so you don't have to apologize. You don't have to talk broko broko Dutch. So don't worry about it at at all. We're we're doing this full English because we also have people joining in from, from Asia and from the Caribbean as well. So don't, don't even worry about it. <laughs> so, but, okay. So at what age did you actually go to the U.S.? Did you go there for studies? How did you end up studying there for for, yeah, for actually, those of you who don't know you that well?
2: Yeah. So my initial one, my dad lived in the United States. He left early, was in the military years ago. And my desire was always, like, I know it sounds crazy, but people who know me back then would always say, Sergio, you know you were going to go to the United States. I said it since I was a kid. And that's when I understood the power of, you know, believing and speaking things into existence. Because at an early age, when I was 14, you know, after, you know, I studied here and my grandmother decided to move to Holland, I had a choice to go to Holland or go to the United States. And I wanted to pursue my education. I loved soccer at the time. And, you know, I I made a few phones. I used to watch all the U.S. movies, you know, like, you know, and watch all the basketball games. I was so in love with the idea of, what America represented, and with the opportunity came my grandfather, who is now passed Walter well, Fennel. He essentially brought me to the United States, and we visited, and and I, I actually, I stayed, overstayed my visit, and then I became a, a American later on. So it, it was really one of those kind of natural, you know, shoot for the stars, take a risk, and I was, I was, and I remember the first time I flew in. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story and I'll really be brief. I remember the night I flew into New York city and it was probably back in 98. And I was, I had a Walkman, Walkman in my ear, my, 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 my uncle Wendell, he kind of gave me the first song was Lucky Dubé, one of my favorite artists still today, and I'm, I'm landing for the first time. Imagine, you know, a 14, 15 year old kid, first time in a new country. And I'm seeing nothing but lights like everywhere. Right. And, and it's, it's at night, you know, I'm, I'm landing in LaGuardia Airport. And uh, I remember at that time I told myself, you know, I don't know what this place holds. I just saw it in the movies, but I'm going to make sure that I'll come back better than, I, than I'm i coming in here. And that was like my first journey coming into the United States. Only because of my my parents, my grandparents wanted to provide me with a better opportunity.
1: Yeah, I, I see that as a, I think, recurring team as well like parents and the environment you grow up in that they make it possible for you to get access to it and i guess lots of people don't know about opportunities still they're kind of you know pushed into it so i guess you yourself were kind of drawn into it but how did you like grab the reins from yourself once you've been there Can, can you talk about that experience and you know, what, what hit you like stepping out of that airplane?
2: I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are ready for this, but I'm going to keep it raw as possible. This is a, this is the, the social convo channel. So I'm going to try to keep it as, as real as possible. Cause it's, it's, it's just
0: true. casual, just a social conversation. Go ahead. You can yeah, give absolutely. us all the details.
2: Yeah. Good, good. So, you know, my, my, my dad at the time, you know, was dealing with some serious drug issues. So my my, my, my my traveling and coming to New York, New York was for me to expect to see my dad for the first time at 14, 15, and I have never really met the man, right, growing up. So when I landed, he wasn't there, but my uncles was there, right? So we kind of went to Pennsylvania, and I lived in Pennsylvania for a, a year or two, and I'm going to tell you guys, <laughs> it's nothing like the movies, right? If you if you ever lived in eastern Pennsylvania in the United States, I mean, it's it's below zero most of the time. There's snow everywhere. And it's, it, it, is, it, is, it was like one of the most boring town in the world, right? It was my first experience in America. I'm dealing with diverse people, white people, people from different cultures. And they're looking at me and the first thing they asked me say, hey man, where are you from? I said, I'm from Suriname. Oh, oh, you're from Africa. I'm like, no man, I'm from Suriname. They're like, no, you're from Af-? And then I had, to, I had to, because my accent was so strong I couldn't speak English really well. Right? And then familiarity was more for African. So I became the Africa of Pennsylvania early on. <laughs> and then later on, just kind of developing myself in the sixth grade, played, played, played soccer. I, I had an uncle, well actually, I actually, my, my father at the time kind of came through rehab. And then I remember two years later, he invited me to come stay with him in New York. Now I'm gonna tell you guys, you know, New York, as you guys may think of the Big Apple, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, but living in East Bronx, New York, in the hood, right? My experience in the Bronx was—I l- lived right by the Yankee Stadium. Anyone who knows wants to get second and 42nd Street. I, 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 it was—it was one of the roughest parts of town. I mean, you have bloods, cribs, homeless, drug. I, I mean, it was one of those places where uh, you really had to find yourself. In the realization that oh, this is the part of the movie they 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 show a little bit of while you're watching the TV, right? But I actually lived it, right? I actually have to you know walk through needles and, and go upstairs to the apartment buildings to the point where my dad relapsed again at the time. And and the eighth grade in high school, I was homeless. I became in America with no papers no identity, in the eighth grade, and I was homeless. And I, the only thing that kept me going was, I stayed in a building, it was, it was a crack house, to be honest with you, it was a crack house, it wasn't the sweetest place. Slept on the floor for years, for months, almost about two years, and but I went to school every day. I woke up every single day, walked through the snow, through a few areas that weren't so safe, but I went to PS 166, I remember like I was yesterday, and I attended, I attended school there. And the thing that kept me busy, guys, to be honest, is that I was in the choir, I was in a, pe- a band, I was in a social club, I was in a business club, was- anything you can find, find yourself into, I was there. And I remember my graduation in the eighth grade, I I literally received like the most re- awards for every special organization you can think of because I was probably one of the only ones participated in those. Uh, but I, I just learned that those were the choices I had to make between being on the block and, 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 and participating in, in selling you know, drugs to survive, and versus really living the right path of going to school, getting my education, building skills, because I understood that this wasn't the, the end road for me, but it was a pathway to kind of get through it at the time. It stopped me every time I go, but a- after that, I, I kind of, I'm gonna tell you when the story changes a little bit for me. I had an uncle who lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and his wife at the time, you know, called me and said, Sir, you come down here. You know, it's beautiful, it's Atlanta. And she said two things she should have never told me. She said, you got beautiful girls, I'm a young man, I'm 15, right? Beautiful beautiful black girls in Atlanta, Georgia, right? And and you can drive, right? And I was like, you can drive? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a train everywhere, you know, it's cold, you know? So I decided to take a train, I mean, to take a bus actually to Atlanta, Georgia. And, and, and I'm gonna tell you the story behind that, guys. And it's a true story. It was so bad in the area I was at, a week prior on the basketball court, got in a big fight with a gang member, right? And I mean, it was tough, right? Went to his environment and I mean, they knew my name, they were looking for me, everything. So when my aunt calls and say, come visit in Georgia, spring break, come visit in Georgia. I said, all right, I'll come visit, no problem, (laughs) right? I had a lot of extra extra, uh, motivation to, 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 to go. Because I, I knew I had friends who lost their lives, right? I, it wasn't no, it wasn't one of those kind of like, I'm gonna beat you in of the street. These guys, they were ready, right? They were really Latin, the Latin Kings at the time, you know, were serious things in New York City. I don't know if you put, for those who live in New York, I mean, it's real deal down there, back in the, the, the early, uh, late eighties, right? It was real, real deal back then. And lo and behold, I came to Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm gonna tell you my first love in America. My first like, this is America, right? I, my uncle picked me up from the from the, the the bus station and we go to a gas station to get gas and I tell you we we get gas we get out the he gets out the car he pumps his gas he gets in the car and drives to the front to go pay for the gas I said wait a minute you get to pump your gas first and then go pay for it he's like yeah this is this is the line. that's how we do it down here I said, oh, I ain't going back. Forget that. I ain't going back. So I I I I, I, I started, you know, figuring out a way to stay here. And again, guys, this is full transparency. I have no green card. I have no papers. I have I have nothing at the time. I only have my pseudonym passport, which is expired. Right? I'm telling you, a dollar and a dream will get you far, right? But I I went to school, find a way to eat, you know, everything. And with the first time I realized. The schools that I went to in high school wanted to get my information. they asked asking for my social security number. And I'm like, what is that? You know? And they were like, well, you need this paper. And that's when the first time I started focusing on how can I sustain myself as a young man in the United States? Because I don't have any parents. I've been homeless before. I don't want to come to a new state and fall again. So I started focusing on, okay, what worked for me was school was my pathway for sustainability as of now relationships were the ways for me to leverage myself in case I fall. And then work was the way for me to get capital so that nobody can ever tell me to get out, get out your house. right? It was one of my biggest things growing up because I lived in so many different homes. It was easy for somebody to be like, hey, get out of my house. however, Right? And it, it hurt me so bad. That's why I always wanted to buy real estate, buy land, because one of the things that I always wanted to say is, I own this, right? nobody can tell me to get away from this. And those were my three motivations to get going. Let's
0: let's move on there because it's almost a fresh prince. Fresh Prince Kind of story You got into a fight On the basketball court And your auntie said Come here and Live here So it's great We do have some questions Of course About the extracurricular Activities that you were Talking about Journey in from From both channels From LinkedIn And, and YouTube And Raul Don't worry about it We'll get into the topic It's social confos The first half hour Is always story time So don't worry We'll get into the topic In the second part Of, of, of this conversation And also A shout out From Yitro Red Who is also joining joining in from Facebook. So yeah, Zahir, it's it's up? So so Zahir, we're gonna we're gonna skip a little bit about the, the university part. But what we do wanna know is is you 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 went to the US at a quite an early age. So you had your high school experience in the US as well. Yep. So so about the extracurricular curricular activities, like what is one thing you've been to acquire and all these extracurricular activities in, in, in high school what's one thing that you would say I would Love, I would love if if that part of of the institute, like outside of the studying at school, that would be also be integrated in the in the Suriname's educational system.
2: Mm, that's a great question. You know, prepare me for this one. I believe the educational system as we know it is should change. In the United States, even as a foreign considered to be a African American man. The the the, the 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 educational system is not conducive for to accommodate different vast of personalities and, and preparing them in the real world uh, workforce or entrepreneurship. If there is one thing that I, w- I would change in Surin is that I would I would extend the internship early on. That's the most tangible simplest tweak I would do. Meaning. Every student that would start a university, in order to move to the next step, you have to acquire one year of internship in a particular focus that you're doing. The next year, you do another internship in a different vertical. The third year, to do another internship a different vertical. The reason why I say that is because I believe that education is learned two ways, or three really, but the first really way is is hands-on experience, going out there and really doing it. You really, quick, you really realize quickly if you like it or not, right? Or what you like about it, what you don't like about it. The second way is by engaging with individuals who are already in the field, who are doing it every single day and being able to to ask those questions, get those hands-on experience as well. And I think the third one is the skill. I think, you know, the, the school system is not designed to teach you a skill. It's designed for you to... Become a robot, simply said, right? You're, you're you're conforming into a system that says you can make a great employee. You can read documents that will, depending on your educational level, and you can then apply them in a structured way. And then you can do it over and over and over again for a, a, a comfortable lifestyle that allows you to come back into the following day. So to, to answer your question shortly, I would extend, I would implement an internship Program within each graduate level of studies.
1: I think that's a fair point uh, to point out. And I definitely see that from your story, of course, all these extracurricular activities that you've done, you've basically learned the life skills that you would want in an internship through those, through all those, you know, choirs, organization, networking taking the initiative, buying one thing to sell it just to survive. And that was basically your internship period. But I guess let's fast forward that even more. Did you, after that period, graduated from the university, that you immediately step into, I guess, this entrepreneurial space uh, doing your own business? Or was it like you want to feel out how it is to actually intern at a real corporate setting first? How did that go? And then I'll quickly follow up with another question on
2: that. Sure. Sure. I graduated from the Fort Valley State University with my undergrad degree in uh, international business. Prior to that, I played football for three, four years. Four years. Three three years captain. And we lost. I want to make note of this. We won our championship my senior year after losing for 20 years. Just got to throw that out there for my fellow Wildcats out there who may be chiming in. But essentially, while I was in college, I did two things really well. Every summer or every twice a couple of times a year, I would go with a friend who would essentially go to all the big football games, rent out the entire strip and sell food. So that's my first, like, touching money, right? Like thousands of dollars exchange when I realized this man do two events twice a year and he makes a quarter of a million dollars doing two events twice a year. The rest of the time he's fishing when he's back like different things. The second thing I did was I actually worked as well. So being playing football and, you know, doing a college thing, I would either do tutor other students or I threw parties. You know, I, I, I actually was the night guy who I had a place called Dirty Iguana. <laughs> like it, was, it was a nightclub in Macon, right? And I would pack it out with students right after the game because I saw the need for quick ways to my, that sort that's of my first postgraduate entrepreneurship. Before my actual graduation, my university for Valley State University was really good at putting me in one internship that I liked. And I think that's what really made me realize the difference between entrepreneurship and corporate world. I did my first internship at Georgia Lottery. Georgia Lottery was the, it's the biggest lottery system in Georgia, obviously. And I work in the headquarters. I was in HR. So I worked directly with the vice, vice president. And I was like the, the HR director for all of the incoming new hires. And it was the first time I really learned, you know, suit and tie and, you know, working in a corporate setting. And I learned that hands-on experience of how to, conf- how, to how to work a job, right? How to understand how corporate structures work. How HR system works, what protocols look like, you know, how to operate within a certain settings, learning social behaviors, how to, you know, quality control, all that good stuff that she learned in corporate America. I had a hands-on experience and kind of did that for for quite for, for a few months actually, until they offered me a, a position that I, you know, kindly declined because I wanted to pursue my education further, because I knew that wasn't it for me I, I, there was something about waking up every single morning going to some job and doing extremely well Lo- like people love what i do because I, I value but i'm dying inside because i'm too busy counting my roi and i'm too busy counting my value you know it was too much going on where i started looking at how can i you know improve myself um, in different ways. So I started working for another company because, again, guys, coming out of there, I don't want to. I don't want to be homeless. Right? I don't want to. I, I want to have sustainability in myself. I started working as a, a general manager for a finance company, a CLA, in the United States. And prior to that, and maybe your follow follow up question is 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 here. But quite, prior to that, I visited Suriname for the first time. After years of, I got my green, you know, I got my papers, my everything. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back home. And that was the first time I came back home because I could travel now. And was the first realization of the promise that I've made years ago. And I think that is when my entrepreneurship was born. Because when I came back, the first thing that I did was I started my first startup company. And that was called Derby Graham I don't know I got a, a question follow-up question Diego but I Yeah, exactly
1: that, that's actually where I was going because um, from I, I listened to your prior interview not too long ago, and the same thing you you came here and, and that triggered it and I, I heard a particular thing. you had your first start of your spirit venture, and I want you to talk to us about how you basically You've run the startup, basically, almost, correct me if I'm wrong, were a millionaire on paper. Yes. But then things crumbled down, and then you had to pivot, and that was the start of the conception of PyData. Can you tell us about that?
2: So, true story. This is probably... 2014, 2015, 2015, 2016, in, in that time frame, I came back from Suriname and the, the problem that I, that I wanted to solve, that I saw, is that I couldn't, I have my card everywhere. I couldn't pay for anything because nobody accepts cards. Right, everybody wants cash. So I'm like, man, you got it. This is when Square had the card reader in America. Like this is when Square was first beginning. I was like, man, you crazy. I called my friend in China and I, I white labeled Square readers. So I put Derby Graham on those, and then I built the application. It was really like a website that allows you to do, swipe the card, it runs the reader, and then it will do the exchange. So I started doing that and in, in, in started building the company, try to go out there in Suriname, try to build it. And I got a few phone calls that really weren't attractive. They, you know, hey, you know, you're not a you're not an accredited company. You can't make these kind of transactions. You know, you gotta be able to put yourself in a, a situ- so that's when I learned about gateways, I learned about banking systems and I started realizing, okay, you know what? This is a problem in Suriname, you have it all across the region. So I started looking at avenues on how to really raise the capital to start becoming a financial institution to to enable remittances or transactions. And I I ran into, you know, after a few people, I ran into a a, a former partner uh, of mine and the, the, the beauty about this this strategic partnership is that she had a, a music streaming application um, called Derby Wire, right? So this, this streaming application at the time was, it was before, like, it was titled in 2012. Class, quality, top-notch a platform where we even engaged with Sony. You can hear me, right? I'm coming in clear? Yeah, we, we engaged with Sony. I had two investors at a time that I brought to the table. We attracted two other investors that we brought to the table. So we had a cap table for about $2.5 million. We had investors who were doing the diligence, loving the dynamic. We had several meetings. And I'm going to tell you guys, you know, during that time, Diego, to your point, after months and months and months of building a startup, for the first time, I would spend weekly meetings in an office space with two investors, two, a co-founder found another investor. And we would talk about our, our funding strategy, right? For $2.5 million, right? Collaboratively. And we had Sony on the, on the table. We had Sony meetings. I remember like it was yesterday. And I was, I was coming home to my wife at night and I would tell her like, listen, man, you know, we're going we're gonna to get rich, right? We're going to be rich, right? Uh, Because you know, there's there's no way this can go wrong. There's no way this can go wrong, right? We're 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 having these meetings. They could these these people who have the money committed to this, right? So we we're we're good. On a (laughs) months and months of these meetings, on a Friday, we finalized the agreements. On a Monday morning, we're signing, and I'm a millionaire. That means. My company, I have enough equity in a, a multi-million dollar company that I could consider myself, you know, I'm on my million dollar track as a co-founder. By Monday, we had a call, a hiccup call stating that there were some, do, some technical due diligence that occurred that discovered that some of the IP that we own was licensed by a third party. And because of that, they wanted to get a stake in this venture, which diluted all of us significantly because they had the most unique solution at the time, which the co-founder declared publicly or said anything early on. Otherwise, we could have, you know, figured out a way to kind of get past that. So it became a battle of, are you telling the truth? Are you saying, you know, can I trust you or? Investors like Sirius, you know, we believe what you're doing, but we don't know we can do that. You know, it became a tug of match. And at some point, two of the investors pulled out. And on a, on a Monday, I'm supposed to be a millionaire. On a Friday, I have invested thousands of dollars into a startup. Everything is gone. And I'm like, I had that feeling again in New York City, losing everything, being homeless. What am I going to do? Because I spent everything. I mean, I was—I'm that crazy entrepreneur. i, I put every—I put my, my last rent. I fought my wife and told her, "Look, don't worry about this. You know, you know, you're not, you gotta take risks." I was those crazy. Put it in, and I tell you, on Friday, I had to come back to her and say, "Honey, I'm sorry, but it's not gonna work out." Spe-
1: speaking of risk, before you transition to the Pi data, so speaking of risk, I guess, did you ever, like these experiences, how do you weigh in how much risk you take and, you know, what, what's your process behind change. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: also, did it change throughout the years?
2: <laughs> Great question. Yes. When you're a young entrepreneur, you're radical. And I was really, really radical. I'm still radical relatively, but I'm calculated radical, if if that makes sense. Diego, if I was in the same situation at the same time, in the same environment, I would have done it again. Not knowing the the outcome, obviously, but because at the time I was such a stickler for due diligence, I, I caught myself saying, you know, I mean, you have investors who are senior guys who are like, yo, this is it. Right, so there's no way you can tell me that we went on the right track. The problem that I had is that I wasn't. To answer your question, it was more so an experience that I had to learn in understanding how technology works. Right, if it was a if it was a real estate project or if it was a healthcare, it would have been a little different because it's tangible. I can I can go to the property, I can see it, I can go to the you know all that stuff. But because this is technology, if I give you an application right now and I don't, show, I, 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 I don't show you the source code, behind the source code we're leveraging an API that is owned by somebody else, it's hard for you to really know that API um, infrastructure and who owns it and all that other stuff. Unless you're a technical investor and you can request those on a, on a, at the point of investment. Meaning they won't even have a conversation with you unless you are in a position to acquire them for them to open the doors for you, right? So it was the, the education of understanding how contracts work, the education of understanding how business infrastructure works, and more importantly, what is intellectual property? What does it look like from a technology standpoint? And that was my first, aha, okay, now I understand what it looks like.
0: I want to know, is this something we should be worried about when we talk about Surinamese entrepreneurship and tech entrepreneurship and intellectual property?
2: Yes. Yes. My last time in Suriname, it was the, the event. Oh my gosh, I forgot the event's name, themed event, but it was sponsored by IDB. And at that time, they had a same conversation around intellectual property in Suriname. And the question that I have, and I tell people all the time, if I am a Surinamese entrepreneur, and I have a brilliant idea, and I build the idea, right? And I try to patent it with the tsunami patent office, and I forgot the name of the proper name of the Suriname version of it. The,
0: the Bureau for Intellectual Property.
2: Yes. I, in America, can look at that idea and say, oh, oh okay. And I, can, I, I don't have to change anything. I can file it by showing that I have some level of workability with the U.S. Patent Office. So the the Suriname Patent Office doesn't have any, it's not considered accredited, tied to the United States Patent Office. There are some ways around it that I think they're working with right now, but that's strike number one in terms of of a problem. That means entrepreneurs are going to have to register their IP outside of Suriname, which dilutes the economic value of Suriname itself. One big problem I'm trying to solve, by the way. So secondly, I think if you don't register your IP and you build something phenomenal, then other companies in the region, and it's known to be, you know, I'm going to be a little raw here. People in Suriname always say, I don't want to stay here. They're going to go to the spending mean i'm gonna hold it right here because you know i don't wanna you know and i tell you that is the is the they die with those dreams right we 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 all have friends in Suriname who are like oh my gosh boy if i had some of your intellectual but because they're like this technically because the culture made them be like this right because so and so got the ideals stolen by so and so because they preached it to them and it was now they announced you know you know you know the stories right we don't we don't have to go down that road right but because of that, it it depletes and, and and crushes the innovative ecosystem in Suriname and in the Caribbean, if you will, because we as an ecosystem are not able to own, rightfully own intellectual property that would be registered and developed in Suriname.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point that you brought forward because that's always a very touchy area and especially for with music with ideas uh, with inventions if you don't register it outside because you're basically it applies to the jurisdiction you operate in yeah and the way i see it at this scale i think the caribbean as a whole is very fragmented in that sense So it makes it harder for each individual in each individual country to be able to compete in a world stage.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And that's the problem, not only in Suriname, but most other Caribbean countries have the same issue. I see Jamaica is trying to... Jamaica and Bahamas and Barbados, in my opinion, are the ones who are trying to find their footing into developing the IP system. I think, or one of my recommendations to the institutions in Suriname is that the the Suriname should establish an organization in the United States or the Cayman Islands. This institution is owned by the Suriname registry, whatever. And then when you file, you file United States, which is globally recognized, but that tide will still be locally recognized as well while we're catching up from infrastructure stuff, while we're in infrastructure stuff. That way the innovation or the new technology that be, that are coming up are not left behind, right? They essentially are able to be recognized globally.
0: I have a bit of a different take on this though. Not necessarily different as in uh, completely different, but what the, the stage we we're moving at, and I'm gonna use your example of, of the company that you were a millionaire. And then basically the the u- judicial system kind of screwed you over because in the end, if the other party has better paid lawyers and they are f- more familiar with the law and these kind of laws, you just lose it in court. You can fight them and lose all your money because you try to fight them in court. And that's what we have with all these big companies. I'm not even talking about the Disneys, but, but anywhere in that level. So you basically have to consider two things. In the end, what people want is either you go for the biggest, we go for the Disney's, the Facebooks. Even Netflix is experienced that coming up, how much like Disney and, and the big corp big corporations are fighting Netflix to keep them small enough that they can control them. Because if Netflix blows up and becomes on their level, it's over for them. Yeah. So that's one route so and and surinamese people like to be part and not only surinamese people people in general like to be part of the winners so of course we're gonna stay on facebook and whatsapp i mean we all had the struggle here yeah we're gonna go on signal i I keep laughing till this day it's actually been two months already so i want to ask all the people that say we're gonna move from signal and we're never gonna use whatsapp again i want to ask those guys how's that going for you at the moment so either you go to the biggest or you come up with a niche concept, a really big niche concept, which works perfectly for your niche and a big company from outside is not able to touch it because it's so much into embedded to the culture that people locally want to use it and they don't want the the big international version. Am I saying something here that
2: you can nah. work with? Uh, yeah, I, you can. And, uh, I love what you said. And uh, the way to take it even further, most companies in the United States who have something significantly proprietary do not get a patent or a trademark. The reason why is because you have to declare the underlining of what you have in order to register it. Once you declare it and it's public information, then the other parties know what's under the hood. So until you get to a certain scale then you can register and patent it, so that's a lot of companies are doing that route to your point. and I I think, I think that's a, a fair ride. But I think from a smaller company in Suriname, you are absolutely correct the The focus you know I, i'm I'm careful here. Here's why I'm careful. If we found because we're ninety percent ninety eight percent tropical, right in Suriname. if we found a particular frog that has this enzyme. Only in Suriname that helps to fight COVID. That is a product you only can find in Suriname. In that case, it's proprietary enough to where you want to kind of register it in a, in an environment where you can you can race to the race to the the, the gold, so to so to speak. But if you oh, I'm gonna build this Facebook for Suriname. Don't waste your time trying to go get a patent. Or just just like you said, have a niche find out what kind of Facebook you want to build
1: and then double down on that. Awesome. Yeah, just to quickly go through the comments real quick while we move on. As you are talking, Gregory said, radicals change the world and he loved, I guess the idea how radical and I guess mad you were to, you know, go all in. Devin says he'd rather die than share his ideas which can be used by the (laughs) wrong hands. Well, mixed feelings about that, but, and then to move on quickly to the founding of PyData and how that pivoted. So Sergio, uh, Raul asked here: Is Sergio the founder of PyData? So, yeah. yeah a- after that story, after that crumbled down, how did you conceive PyData, and what does PyData stand for?
2: Sure. So I'm gonna start with the latter question. PyData stands for performance, image, and exposure are the three most common success principles that promotes innovation. And it and, and creates innovation, promotes development. So how we started in Pi Data, and we believe that data is the number one commodity in the world. So that's why we really value data. And I'll have another session on, on, on the performance of your work, right? How hard you work only accounts for 10% of success. The image of how you perceived, who you know, how people know you from a, from a, from a culture, your, your ethics, your brand is 30% of the value and exposure who you know who knows you is sixty percent of the value. So it's like, it's I, I look at everything from a pie glass because I like to understand what really matters and from a successful principle. But how we started after I spent all my money on this 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 million dollar startup I had my rent money left and it was about I remember it was twelve hundred dollars at the time. And I didn't know how to how to make it up to my wife. A week prior to this announcement, remember Friday we we're, were signing. I I reached out to my godmother, who happened to be the 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 the, the secretary general at the time for Canto. To say, hey, I want to come back to, to to Caribbean to help really present this this new payment system. You know, you know, give me a spot to speak on stage. You know, I'll pay whatever. So. She's like, oh yeah, come on. So on Monday or Thursday, she calls me and says, "Sergio, are you still coming? You know, I got you on Tuesday to present." I'm sitting here like I just lost a million dollar deal. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, what I'm gonna talk about? Like it's done. Then I thought about it. I said, you know, when one door closes, this is when my again failure in my past was always followed by success, only because I couldn't stay there. So I always remembered, heck, hey, I can't go lower than this. You know, I'm going to lose my, I'm going to lose my place. I had no, I, my, my, my daughter wasn't even born there at the time yet. So I had no kids. I said, my wife and I going to figure it out if she's, if she's with me, she's going to ride or die. Right. <laughs> it just, I'm that radical. Right. You married me, right. You told you we're in for the, for the long haul here. So I, I said, I didn't even tell her what happened, but what I did was I bought two tickets to the bah- to the Bahamas with my last money. So I, I said, honey, I'm sorry, but we lost the deal. It's not going to go, what do you mean? Just, I didn't even want to talk about it. We lost the deal. But listen, we're going to go to the Bahamas. All right. So I'm going to Bahamas. So now I'm in Bahamas. I'm on, I'm on, the, I'm in the room at the Canto event. Seeing all, I've seen the Telestere executives. At the time, You had Derek Curry, um, who was representing students. He was the, the, the chairman at the time, really crushing the game. This is when, when Derek Curry was, was prime, was, He was changing not just Suriname, he was changing the region, right? He was preparing to really develop an ecosystem that would flood the gates of Suriname. Kimiel was live at the time, and he had people from the Bahamas, a lot of executives. And I remember it was a young man at the time called William Mahler once on stage. He was the only young guy there, right? So you're, you're at a resort, nice place. You know all the executives, and don't know they're really only any kids unless the the executives brought their child to the event, right? But this is a guy with a suit. He's presenting on stage, young cat. So I'm in a crowd. I have nothing to present because my old company just died. I can't go on stage and lie to these people. So I said, you know what? I went on stage. I said, you know what? My last startup, we had some challenges. Here's the story but the problem that I see in in, in this room is that me and William are the only young people here and you guys are making decisions that affect us. And we have no say in the room. What if we can get more young people involved in making decisions that allows us to be more proactive and be inclusive because we're, we're keen to technology, Mm, you know, First, first, I'm gonna tell you, Derek wasn't my fan at first. He, he, he wasn't, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was William, not William. Oh my gosh, my brain, out of Bahamas, is gonna come to me. Oh my gosh, William, first name. He'll come to it. you. He'll come <laughs> to me. And yeah. he's the one who said, Serge, I believe in you." Before, before EJ Saunders, who was our first investor in Suriname, you know, he he was the one. Who said, You know what? Write a, write a proposal and submit it. And I'm going to tell you, the, the, the decision was when I talked to William Mahler, I asked William, I said, William, you got an award. You got, got $1,000. You got on stage to present. What happens next? And he said, no, nah, that's, that's it, sir. I, I, I'll go home. Leon Williams, that's his name. It's coming back to me. Leon Williams. He, he's like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go home. And I said, what if, what if we, we can come every year? What if we can come to this event every year and they're going to listen to what you got to say? He said, man, I'm open to, to what you got to say. So, and I met a few other people, like uh, at the time, you had Gianno, who was the videographer for Kanto at the time. And you had uh, Jamie, who was like, she was working at the with Canto at the time with the, with the administrative. And I kind of brought the young people that I saw at the time together and said, hey, what if we come together and work along with telecommunication executives to push forward mandates like don't shut down WhatsApp. They were talking about shutting down WhatsApp, John. Can you believe that at the time, right? Don't shut down WhatsApp, embrace it, and let's be at uh, the cutting edge in building solutions together. I uh, wrote a proposal, got a few no's, went to the board twice, presented twice, and I got one chance to come and present it in Suriname. Mind you, the next Kento event happens to be in Suriname. So that's the first time we came to Suriname, Brought some of the top executives from all around the world. At that time, I, had, I, had, I really talked to, 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 to the whole t team, saw what they were doing down here. So we wanted to kind of bring in a support ecosystem from a diaspora to help educate, inspire, educate, and sustain Caribbean innovation. That was Pieda. Hasborn.
1: I, I want to actually quickly follow up on that. After you, I guess, proposed it, brought it here, presented it in Kanto here.
2: Yeah.
1: What was generally the reception and what's the current state on how that's
2: going? Great. So, at that time, it was, literally, right? What are these young guys here, what are you going to talk about? We had a few executives that were like, Oh man, this is awesome. We need more young people involved in decision and we had a few old dogs who were like you know, you, you, you can put it on the political spectrum or you could not, but it was it was it was it had both sides, right? And after the at the event, there were three things that I saw in in the behavior of the people. One, they didn't realize how much we knew because we had speakers like Ryan Kopinski Miguel Rodriguez, right? We had really strong like, guys who come on and presented. Gianna was crushing it on stage, right? So we had really strong individuals who were from the region who came back who were saying, hey, no, we can do this, right? We invited some executives as well to come speak. And it really brought light to locals that are, 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 are stating that maybe we can support an environment where entre- young entrepreneurs, like had the t mail was, this, was, this, was, this was when team mail was hot. This one T-Mill was the number one acceleration program or an incubation lab in the Caribbean, right? I'm telling you, research done at the time. And we did the event, got our first investor, EJ Sounders from Domo Simo Sankos. Shout out to EJ for giving my first yes. He's the first guy who came to me. I got I to pause real quick because I want to tell you something about the people who are listening. EJ Sounders, he's done well. But I'm going to tell you what he's done for so many other entrepreneurs in the Caribbean. He saw our vision and supported it, not just, you know, by giving us form, but putting his money where his mouth is year after year after year in developing and giving us opportunity to put an ecosystem together. We went to the Bahamas. We went to, Jama- we went to Trinidad. We went to different islands, Barbados. And we hosted events, hackathons, and acceleration programs there. And we just had an idea, guys. PyData started prior to us becoming a business. We started with just an idea of bringing in together the best innovators and developers together to build solutions. So we had hackathons, which was our, 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 our business model at the time. Essentially predicated around bringing in engineers and developers, put them in a room for three days, no only bathroom and no and, 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 and food breaks, and they gotta build something in a short period of time. What we learned at the time was it was so much more needed after the hackathon in order to build a product and sustain the product. But we learned that last year when we launched Sonar, which was the first disaster management emergency communication solution, where I said, Radical, Radical had on again, I ain't doing nothing else. We're gonna double down on this. This is gonna work. Sonar is gonna be it. And Diego, John, I'm telling you, man. I have been through eight different islands. I have talked to the highest and the lows. And it was such, such a hard experience to actually get funding for a startup. That we burned out. I mean, I lost, I lost everything again. I mean, you know, again, radical, flying, my team going here, flying, going there. I mean, and you know, again, going all in. And what I learned different, differently to your point, your question earlier, John, the difference between my first radicalness, second radicalness, is knowing when it's time. At some point, you're gonna have to pivot. Right? Move on. And because the solution wasn't going at the pace that I wanted to and needed to, because I can support my teammates financially also, also just from a, from a social, we were dying. Right? It became toxic. You know, you've been in those relationships when you've been toxic. Right? I'm, I'm partially to blame. Right? From a leadership, I had to learn how to deal with Everything was sweet for years. Now we got to deal with controversy, how to deal with teammates trying to leave, and it was toxic. But the one thing that I, I tell you that I did differently at this time is that I learned that in order for you to move to the next stage, you have to, in order to grab the next hand, you got to let go of the old hand. And one of the hardest decisions that I had to make was to put sonar on the shelf, you know, separ- you know, let my team, you know, we all separated, you know, gave them the, the, the blessings. And then I started focusing on f- supporting my family and building a business. And the, the, I, the, the, the nights of being in the hackathon rooms, then the traveling and being, meeting with the developers and understanding the development cycle, helped me to develop the PyData who has now became a development agency who is designed for developing solutions whether it's websites, mobile applications, SaaS products for celebi- some of the biggest celebrities in the United States, medical offices. You know, we've been really, really blessed to have a vast part of, of, of customers to help to develop into the digital space. So that's how we've been, became we here and that's how we've been able to maintain um into data. And now We'll move on to the next phase whenever you're ready, Diego.
1: Yeah. I, I just want to quickly ask about at this stage with Sonar, you had, I guess, greenlit investment, you had uh, some yeses. So aside from the team, how do you deal with investors, people who have a stake in you already, because th- th- that's even deeper. How do you, I- I'm not sure how many digits we go with there, but how do you, you know,
2: for Sonar. Yeah, how do you own that? <laughs> yeah, for Sonar, there is nobody who put more money in than me. First of all. Second, the team at the time who needed to build the solution couldn't get to the MVP. Right? So, we were pitching Sonar without having a fully functioning product. To raise money to finish the product. We had the developers, we had a team but we didn't have a fully functioning product at the time. The development team that won the hackathon, who was supposed to build the MVP, didn't build. The, they couldn't get to the MVP. So what I did was, I built MVP. Right? I was so desperate to raise money that, and I'm getting my toxic risk, right? I'm just I'm just giving you the good and the bad of Sergio, right? Um, and I learned from that experience as well. But my my desperate to success was so relevant at the time that because, because I wanted sonar to succeed so bad, I didn't wait for the other team to finish it. I gave them a time frame and they couldn't finish it in the time frame. So I utilized a no-code platform for the first time to build the sonar MVP. And that was my first introduction of oh okay it's over now and that was like four years ago so yeah
1: you you actually took it out of my mouth it's exactly where i wanted to go with the no code (laughs) because here's the thing i've been part of hackathons and usually you build stuff you got all these technical people you got these engineers building code complicated stuff and in the end what's being pitched is some fancy mock-up this is how it's supposed to work it's the idea that's how most of the hackathons were won i've been part from support teams i've been part of hackathons and that's how you just get over the finish line you're right so what i want to ask now mvp for the people listening is minimum viable product and this is what you gotta have to you know test it out find product market fit so you sergio as a i guess not deep that technical person, you're the idea guy, yeah. you know, you're running a business. How, like, first of all, can you define what no code is for the people who have never heard about it? And how did you, were you able to get to that MVP stage at that fast pace?
2: When you, when you have a family to f- support, you become very resourceful. As a young man, my first child, knowing what I put my family through in the past, I had to figure out a way to make money. What I also experienced is that I had developers who knew how to build things, but they need money to build it. So I was stuck because I knew I want to build. I knew how to build it, but I didn't, I couldn't code. I couldn't write Java or Python or, you know. A ruby, right? I I couldn't write. I didn't go to school for that. I got my 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 undergrad in business, right? So, I started developing no code solution for a small a couple of small friends of mine, making five hundred to a thousand dollars for application, utilizing a platform like Business Apps to build my application, and I essentially uh, developed it early on. Went to shout them built other applications on Shoutem. And I started developing these solutions that will cost enterprise level five, ten thousand dollars 10000 to the build from scratch at the bare minimum. I was able to sell it for $1,000 cheaper, but essentially manage it better, provide more service, support the founder or the company better. It had all of the bells and whistles you would need. I just didn't have to pay a bunch of money and a bunch of developers in time to do it. So no code is essentially a, I'm trying to to explain it to you for for non-technical and technical people in simplest way. It is an environment that uses GUIs, right? We call it GUIs that essentially are visual elements that are programmed already for you. So for example, when you're writing code, you want lines of code, you're going to have to give the computer instructions to start something, to finish something in this particular format, whether it's front-end or back-end. These GUIs are already written for you. In fact, most developers who develop now real coders use this already, but they just use the actual code script to put it into their code. They don't, most developers right now, you ask any developer who writes, who really programs right now. I can't find out one programmer who wrote every single line of code. Every single, I can't find out one. You know why? Because if there is some form of, you, you go, you're always going to have one who's going to come in the chat like, hey, hey, sir, I, 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 come on, that's me, that's me. I'm waiting for you. Come on in. Right? But most, most developers would essentially utilize scripts to integrate with, with the open source solution to integrate within their software, customize it a little bit, right? Make some adjustments to, to provide it. So, with no code, it essentially gives you those visual elements where it's not, it used to be very drag and drop. So, we're not talking about Wix, right? Or Webflow, which is like, you know, you take it in slash and, right? It had no logic, it had no data, right? Those were the first early ons of no code solutions. However, no since 2019, 2020, specifically 2020, no code has evolved significantly. Why? Because AWS, Amazon Web services enabled different not sentiment instances that allowed you to have micro level services, which enabled agencies to build no code solutions for anyone to be able to utilize, those pre-written codes, then customize their own logic while managing the, their infrastructure that sits on the same um, server, like AWS, than any other platform that's in the cloud. Push. So essentially, the programmer who spends six months writing code to push their code from their server to the cloud is doing the same thing the person who's no code who took two weeks to build it, Push to the cloud because they both sit on the cloud now. Anyway, they have the same infrastructure security. They have the same enterprise. I manage my data. I can pull my data. I can integrate any API I want, right? So no code has, 2020, the pandemic has done, has promoted what we call citizen-centric development. It's no code.
0: Hey, so... It's funny because I know quite some developers, and it really went from 10 years ago no, 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 I want to write my own code. I want to write my own code. So, like, okay, we're going to copy these two lines of code because it's just easier to can we white label this? You know, it's, it's, it's I, I think for people, it's interesting to know that this isn't just something that's happening with, with app development or, or coding, it's happening with creation as well. Because like 20 years ago, television productions and now the same productions are done with a mobile phone. And basically, there are two kind of people who are really profiting from this. Because the people who know how to write serious code, they, of course, get paid a lot of money because they really know how to code. And then you have the 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 people who can commercialize it and take this no code and make it into something that actually solves a problem or brings value to the end consumer and they profit from it as well, which, which basically, I, I mean, we have a lot more questions, but we already passed the hour mark. So we want to close down with, with one final question. And it kind of, it, it comes around to things you have mentioned before. Because we br- briefly spoke about MVPs, minimal viable products, and we also spoke about no-code. And you especially, specifically told us since the pandemic, since 2020, no-code, it's the access, getting to all these solutions online has become so much easier. So if I'm a young aspiring or a young starting entrepreneur in Suriname, and I have an idea, like, What advice could you give them through the process of finding an MVP? Like, what are the minimal standards for an MVP? And where can I search for no-code solutions that I could actually start my business from home?
2: Great question. So, if you're watching this video, listening to this podcast, I want to invite you to come to NoCodeCaribbean.com. NoCodeCaribbean.com is an online academy that allows you to register and do exactly that. You'll be able to one, learn tools and resources on how to build it. Two, you'll be able, yes, thank you. You'll be able to join our cohort. We're launching a cohort in Suriname here very shortly. We've been working and speaking to a lot of uh, institutions in Suriname as well. So if you're in Suriname, we work closely with Rajiv, who is one of our our Suriname ambassadors down there. So we're really excited about having him kind of spearhead the, the no code in Suriname. We're actually launching Trinidad in, in, in the last week. We're kind of doing our first cohort in, in Guyana as well. So we are, I want to invite you to take on, to, to join our community because you're going to be able to, I, I know people who are in our group chat this morning alone who are going crazy because they're like, yo, I've been looking for this and you finally kind of, like, this." We, we have a we have a sharing culture. We want to give you as much information. So if you're a young person and you went to the website, you, you, you signed up, there are three platforms that I like to give away. My favorites. Why I use them a lot. Again, I gotta warn you. They are not just drag and drop. They're not the Wix builder or the Squarespace. Don't think of it like that. I can. I have an AWS API. I, I'm. I've built. I've managed a lot of interesting things with these no-code solutions. So just please, the misconception. Have an open mind. The first one is Figma. Figma. F-I-G-M-A, Figma.com. Figma, in my opinion, is so powerful. It's the most embedded solution with a lot of different third parties because you can essentially do your workflows, your designs, your graphics, everything, and they're reusable all the way down to the productions in Figma, right? So highly, highly recommend Figma. The second one for development, and it's world-renowned now for a lot of uh, developers, called Bubble bubble.io uh, bubble is my purse one of my personal favorite why and i recommend it to any young the young no code or non-technical the founder is because one is free it's free entry you can build a website tonight on bubble for free it'll have the bubble icons on it but you got a website for free right it doesn't matter right and I'm not talking about just informational website. No, you can have an entire structure. They have a nonprofit package too. Hint, hint. Second, it is the most integrated no-code solution right now because I can basically integrate any. A- I can do from Google APIs to voice recognitions. I mean, I can I can build any. I can integrate any solution with it. The 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 third one. The, the, there's two of them that I like. Is AirDev AirTape AirDev, which is the premium version of, of more of the data oriented, no code. Right. If you're trying to have a table and structure, you're tired of using Excel spreadsheets, right. You're tired of doing that, That that is really, really beneficial for you to utilize. And then if you're like into IOT solutions, I, I it's a, it's a platform called Tuya, T-U-Y-A. That's really good for, you know, Bluetooth or, or, or machines or hardware components to integrate with them. So but to make it easier for your audience i would definitely start with those two now listen i i use other ones right i use a lot of other ones i have a friend in the united states called nixcode she's a female founder one of the only minorities who are leading had their own platform and you can go on nixcode right now and build you a mobile app right now right it's gonna it's gonna cost you about 2 300 bucks but guess what you save $10,000 in development down the line. And you can get to your MVP faster. You can learn if it works. And if it, if it doesn't work, you iterate and move on. So I hope I answered your question by giving at least a few key, key platforms.
1: No, that, that is go. definitely. Thanks a lot. And yeah, I, I've, I've noticed the same trends, actually, like February I, that opened my space. And yeah, uh, Rajiv Hiralal was on Social Convos before as well. So great to hear that uh, you're working with him. And yeah, definitely great. some things people can look forward to. But with that being said, there's so much more we can talk about, but we've hit time and I think definitely would like to, you know, as things develop, have you on in a future episode. But currently, you've already mentioned you're uh, spearheading No Code Caribbean and things people can look out to. Where can people find you? What can people look forward to? And any final thoughts you can lay them out now?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first let me start off by saying thank you, Diego and and, and John. I'm a huge fan of this channel. Believe me, right? Uh, just trust me. You may not you may not get all the, the 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 accolades with your roses right now, but I'll I'll give them to you guys while I can. And I I, I just I'm just I commend you to for the consistency in providing value and content that actually helps young people in, in, the, in Suriname and in the Caribbean as well. So thank you so much for this platform. You can find me or reach out at No Code Caribbean for our cohort. So in Suriname, we're launching this month, we're launching our first cohort. I really wanna to talk to my Suriname audience. If you're a young student, I know you've watched a lot of Jean's episode when it comes to sports as well, right? I, I wanna tell you this, this initiative, this cohort is for you, right? I'm going to dedicate as, 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 a, as a serial entrepreneur to your success. I want to, if you're a female, right, I, I, I highly recommend women. I want to I wanna talk to my female listeners right now. If you're a young woman between the ages of 18 and older, and you're looking of trying to learn a new skill so that you can make money right now, right, I invite you to go to No Coach Suriname sign up, register for our first cohort, because what we're going to do is we're going to allow you to learn in eight weeks, you're going to learn how to utilize tools, what tools are out there and then being able to program it. So at the end of the end of the eight weeks, you would know how to build the website. You would know how to build the an application and you won't know how to have to learn, learn how to know code. Right? So I highly want to recommend um, you to come there. If you want to connect me on LinkedIn, the, 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 the LinkedIn address is Sergio Pangle at LinkedIn, and I am super super excited to um, come and come post pandemic back into the region with this no code movement. We're excited in Trinidad and other islands. Uh, we're really launching in this, this, those different parts of the region. But meet I'll take in the andere stad om dingers te doen en ander te helpen. ik voor de eerste ben ik echt serieus um, in Suriname to help her. So I'll see in Suriname, bent and you, you will offend you you, you um, you, you, yourself to make her. I'll still believe I'll still believe I'm um, you to help her. Ghana No Code Caribbean. Sign up, and let's build the future together. The goal is to educate 100 female in Suriname by the end of this year. That's my strong, bold goal. And I know by doing that, Suriname as a whole will move up in the ecosystem as a technology leader, as it should be.
1: Thank you for that bold call out. And we are here to help keep it accountable. Yes.
0: Just... uh... Also, the comments, Marvin says, "Top uh, but also I want to point out because we'll give a shout out to uh, one of our female uh, listeners, Tanya, who says she's a no coder as well. Uh, so shout out to Tanya for also dropping in and being one of the females who dropped the comment on today's episode. So uh, that's awesome.
1: That's awesome, Sergio. And appreciate you being on. We'll drop all the links. Um, we'll follow up after this to get all the links, put the links in the description for all the listeners. Guys, so the episode, this episode, if you've missed it, if you've got friends who've missed it, definitely people interested in no-code, in technological developments. This episode will be released on Saturday on all streaming fat platforms as weekly. So share it to them, comment. This helps us, you know, reach more people. The more people we can impact the better but take your step and with that being said thank you sergio for tuning in and definitely with that being said sean look, roll us out and we'll see you in the next one
0: yeah so quickly just like diego said the episodes will be out feel free to rewatch the episode gregory said i won't be able to join so i'm re i'm watching the the following uh, follow-up episode same goes actually for uh, Raul sorry I'm pulling out the wrong comment for Raul saying like I have to go but he will uh, listen to the recordings afterwards so that's an awesome initiative and that's what Tanya says and I think we can definitely close it off
2: yes Tanya go ahead Sergio no I was gonna say shout out to Tanya because I love my female female founder so Tanya you're definitely welcome we got some good stuff for you so we'll connect offline
0: Awesome. Hey, Diego already said it. We'll be back next Tuesday at nine o'clock. Many thanks to Sergio. Thank you. And as always, this was Social Confos. See you next Tuesday at nine. Bye bye.